people are already, I saw, uh, it turns out we're already live. So hello and welcome <laughs> to the Metrospective. Uh, you, to, you see a little bit of how the sausage gets made here. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line, filling in for Tim Britton uh, by Andrew McCullough. Andy, uh, if you are going to restrain me, go at me like a man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, that seems reasonable. Sure. Yeah. That seems uh, like does, a, you know, a fair, fair offer. What do you think is the manliest way to restrain someone? Uh, pistols at dawn, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't really thought about. Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't I thought give, about it. Too I didn't deeply. give you a lot of lead time. I didn't give no. you a lot of lead time because we were having a little bit of uh, trouble getting the, the technical aspects of the show set up. There's always going to be bumps in the road. I was thinking like, yeah, like with, with you know, beers in your hand and a motorcycle, um, some way other than what Stubby Clap and Genesis Cabrera, they sort of high-load Pete Alonso, which is like one of those things that is like a, a party foul in the fighting yeah. world. Yeah, they, they, yeah, it was like the total elimination, like with, uh, you know, Perry Saturn and John Cronus a little bit. So yeah, it was not, uh, not ideal. For, uh, for I, I always, you know, it's, it's always strange to me that there are like, out of bounds fighting techniques as it seems like the point of, <laughs> of fighting is to hurt the us. But like you, you can like punch someone in the face 30 times and that's okay. But if you pull their hair, that's bad. And yeah. like, if you bite, that's bad. And those are very effective biting and pulling hair. Sure. Low blows are particularly effective. Right. Um, you know, there's a reason all this stuff is banned. Like even in UFC, there's stuff, you know, you can't like, uh, you can't kick someone when they're down. You know, mm-hmm. there's lots, you know, yeah. and it's because these are the most effective things to do. Right. Um, the Mets, uh, you were there, you were on hand, take two out of three for the Cardinals, ending with some fireworks. Uh, uh, an awkward thing, you know, I don't know, you know, of course, you know, Buck Showalter and, and Juan Lopez are going to say the, the ball sort of got away. It was up and in at Arenado. It didn't seem like egregiously so to me. I don't know. And I also feel like it's putting you on Lopez in a really weird spot. If that's the guy you ask to be throwing out the other team's mm-hmm. superstar. Now I know on one hand, that's, that's a guy who is expendable and can get suspended and is trying desperately to show he belongs in the big leagues and he belongs on this team. On the other hand, he just got here and there's a really good chance. We all know there's a really good chance he could play for the Cardinals in a week or two. <laughs> I mean, look, it, this is a, a baseball conundrum, a baseball situation, time immemorial of like, you look up in the eighth inning and some guy you've genuinely never heard of is throwing at the best player on the other team because of something that happened to innings ago. I mean, it just kind of falls usually to some random reliever to kind of, you know, execute the retaliation. Now, if if that is what happened, you know, because of show Walter and Lopez said, there was, there was nothing intentional about it. Um, but that's just kind of how it works. So, um, you know, I think for most uh, baseball diehards, they'd prefer that maybe the pitch was a bit lower. Uh, you can still, you know, move his feet without, you know, going up and in. I sort of understand Arenado's frustration there, but uh, yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't too egregious. He didn't, you know, didn't hit him in the head. Um, but it he was didn't high. hit him. He didn't hit him. Well, he didn't hit him. Yeah, but it was it was high and tight, and you know, it's understandable that Arenado was upset. I mean, I w- I would get mad, you know. I think like it's it almost looks like when Alonso got hit in the head the, the night before, um, mm-hmm. as as if his first move was toward the mound, and then he thought better of it. Yeah, um, 
Yeah. And so, like, I think you understand. Uh, I think at the same time, like, you can't really blame the Mets for getting frustrated with how many times they've been been hit by pitches. And then there's this really interesting aspect of it, which which Chris Bassett brought up, which is that uh, this might not be related to. I mean, there's no reason the the Mets should be like wearing right. a target on their heads, <laughs> right. right? Like, this right. is something else is happening here. It's the beginning of the season. They haven't even had time to build up grudges. Like, we're we're only right. just meeting each other. Um, something's probably going on with the baseball. There's stuff going on with the baseball. I think, you know, the weather is colder, so pitchers are having some trouble getting grips on it. You know, the sticky stuff ban has made control uh, a bit tougher. You know, pitchers throw harder than ever. They throw breaking balls more aggressively than ever. They use max effort. You know, you're seeing younger pitchers than ever. There's, you know, Richeroli and Eno Saris had a good uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, compendium of various explanations that would contribute to this. You know, the balls, maybe they're part of it. You know, some guys complained about them um you know some have said they're perfectly fine uh you know there's some guys who don't you know uh don't particularly care there's some guys who really care you know so there's it 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 doesn't make sense right that the Mets would be targeted there's just not an ex there's not a rational explanation for that however from their perspective I can see why you know you're very upset that I mean guys getting hit every night you know yeah it's annoying you say that you say there's no rational explanation for it and I agree but uh, meanwhile Every year on July 1st, when hundreds, hundreds of ex-baseball players have long deferments on their contracts, every year I only read about Bobby Bonilla. Well, yeah, but the but the Mets literally lead the league in hit by pitches. So this isn't. I don't think this has anything to do with like right. you know the Wilpons, uh, you know, decades of incompetence leading to this. I mean, I think it's just. I think it's just a confluence. You're probably reading about it a little bit more because it is the Mets. If this was right. the Seattle Mariners, maybe this wouldn't be as big a deal. But look, you know, that's the. That's one of the perils of being the Mets. You play in the biggest market. You're a massive team. You're going to get outsized coverage. And and I think you know in a in a few cases it was in the helmet and luckily yes. they've they've dodged major injuries so far but yep. it's I mean it's scary seeing there's been a, there's been a lot of scary moments there's been you know a lot of close calls I mean Alonso's gotten clipped in the head twice which is which is no fun you know J D Davis got got hit pretty hard the other day I mean yeah like mm-hmm. I think there's Lindor like, took one in the head too Lindor yeah. took one in, yeah I mean there's there's a lot of reason to be frustrated and I think it's understandable to see um, you know them sort of, you know, offering a brushback, you know, I mean, literally like a brushback saying like, Hey, don't do this. Uh, you know, we'll see like, well, you know, they're, they're, they're gearing up for an 11 game stretch. that's going to be pretty, you know, as meaningful as baseball in late April, early May can be with the, with the Braves and the Phillies. So, you know, we'll see if there's any, you know, sort of, uh, any of this carries over in any way. And then the Cardinals will be back in town in a couple of weeks. So we'll see. We've got a handful of people in the room. All are welcome to join us up on stage. This is a big opportunity for you. So please, if you've got a question, just uh, just work it out on the app, and and I will I will let you on. But uh, I alluded to it earlier in terms of of Lopez uh, moving forward. The Mets have some decisions to make. Uh, it's time to cut down the rosters from twenty eight to twenty six. Um, and I think the guy who's very obviously in the spotlight right now is Robinson Cano. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I mean, has not been particularly productive, um, did not play 
at all last season as he was, you know, suspended uh, for, I believe, a second time. It was a year-long suspension, so it must have been a second time, right, for PEDs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, like his, his utility as a fielder is somewhat limited. He's taking it bats away from Dom Smith. Um, you know, yeah, there's a lot in the negative column, I think, in the keep him on the roster column. It's just the amount of money they owe him. Um, you know, that's, I mean, even for Steve Cohen, right? Like $40 million is $40 million. And I also think with Cano, like, I mean, for Steve Cohen, 40 minutes, 40 million. It's like a a good hour. Right. That's, and you know what? That's God. He's so rich. Wouldn't it? I would just, I wouldn't buy a baseball team. I would, man, I'd have a great life though. Uh, anyway. But, I'd have a blip. I'd have right. a, my own blip. You're right. Maybe, maybe, maybe we shouldn't use the sort of you know uh, industry, uh, you know, the the ownership sort of propaganda or whatever it is that 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 they can't afford to do it. Okay, fine. So let's say what's what else is in Cano's quarter? Is he's Robinson Cano? He's right. like he was a Hall of Fame type player who doesn't have a chance at the Hall of Fame because of the PED suspension, but a an elite hitter, one of the best of his generation, and he was pretty good two years ago and his last time he really mm-hmm. played in 2020 so do you want to you know get rid of a player like that on this small of a sample size when you have some other guys with options the problem is that like the other guys with options are i believe it's like dom smith luis guillorme and jd davis uh guillorme is the backup shortstop uh davis you know is a pretty productive player who's gonna you know get some at bats and you know smith it's just like they've done almost everything at this point to you know hurt his trade value uh he hasn't yeah. been particularly good so it's it's kind of it's a tough it's a tough dilemma you know you they i don't think they want to dfa travis jankowski he's been useful they need outfield mm-hmm. depth because they have you know a lot of age in the outfield um i don't know what do you think like what what, what would you do in this spot if you were billy epler I mean, is this does this not seem like the moment for the Phantom DL? Like, is and and like, is that yeah? Is that oh yeah, great point. If that happens, because I mean, to look, me, it, yeah. Go on. I, I cover you, the Dodgers. You cover the Dodgers. For, that's yeah. I cover the Dodgers for three years, and it's like, oh my gosh, they got this roster decision. Oh wow, Cano has a has a toe injury. That's crazy. Oh man, right. geez, I hope he recovers. Yeah, I mean, yes, that's what. That is what teams have done. That is the new thing to do. Now, if they, you know, decide to, like, play it straight up and actually make a roster move, yeah. But, yes, like, Phantom DL is is the move. It's just they got to get everyone on board and figure out what Mm -hmm. it's going to be, you know? I mean, because I would almost guess with Cano, and I don't don't know him personally, but he's got a – he certainly has a a foundation in New York City. And if if you said to this guy, like, look, someone's going to get hurt at some point. Like, we're going to have a chance to bring you back. But, like, right now, just like – well, I mean, and because right now he's failing like the numbers test, and he's yeah. very much failing the eye test. Like he looks the eye t- yeah, bad. rolling and, over, and, man, rolling over and, every attack. Yeah, and I would defend Rob. Like I loved Cano in his heyday. I mm-hmm. still think he's probably got life left in the tank, just because he has been, like you said, a Hall of Fame caliber hitter. Um, yeah. Only it's not it's not happening right now, and so he doesn't look whether that's whether that's because it's a 40 plate apparent sample size, which it very absolutely could be, and and you risk sending him loose so he can I don't go who knows where like you know for all we know the Nationals and just become like a thorn in the Mets side for the rest of the year yeah. um, or but but like if you're looking if you're trying to compare because it, it feels like it's it's kind of kind of got to come down to Smith or Cano and kind like, of they're, yeah they're. Um, they're, they've performed similarly poorly mm-hmm. this year. They're similarly limited defensively, but it's like, 
who has more upside to your team uh, as a trade candidate, as a as a piece for the future? To me, it's like obviously Smith. Plus, like Smith is just such a lovable part of the Mets core. Like, if you're going to ride with anybody, right. that's the guy fans love. Like, that's not the guy who's coming off a year long suspension. I, I don't know. Uh, like, it, it I seems like- I do think though, but I do think right that what the composition of the core. I mean, they made a lot of changes to that this mm-hmm. year. I mean, they, and they've talked pretty openly about the importance of adding Marte and Escobar and Canna and Bassett and Scherzer, and that the you know that the the, the attitude in the room is is a bit different. And I think. You know, even though like he's not hit well at all, I, I, I think Cano offers a sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, veteran presence that probably does have a bit of benefit. Do you want to give up on that after after 40 at bats? At, at the same time, like you got to build a runway for Dumb Smith at some point, right? Right. Like, yeah, you, you, you have to. You have to find and, and where do the at bats come from if yeah. not? From right. Cano, and so yeah, it is a bit of a conundrum. Uh, it's it's a it's going to be an awkward situation. Like it, it seems much easier on the pitching side because uh, there are guys like we know what the what the very back end of the bullpen looks like for the Mets. We mm-hmm. know the guys who aren't going anywhere. We know the guys who might be. Plus, we mm-hmm. know like it's the major leagues in 2022. Um, someone might get DFA'd and be back in a month. Like it's just That's true. There's, there's just so much movement at the uh, at the fringes of, of bullpens, at the fringes of, of position player uh, rosters as well. But this Mets team happens to be a deep one, which is a good thing, and it happens to be right now a, a healthy one, which is a rare uh, a rare condition for the Mets, but one that is <laughs> right. um, in in this situation, in this particular yeah. situation, complicating things. And that's why, like, it almost I don't know uh, to me. And like you mentioned, like Cano, I think among fans, uh, it seems like everybody's done with him. Like if you read, yeah. you know, like if you read what you read, everybody sounds like they're done with him. It sounds sure. like a lot of columnists and talk radio types and everybody, everybody else is done with him. But if you talk to the players, it might be a little different, right? Because that is a guy uh, who commands a hell of a lot of respect among other yeah. players. PEDs are not like he. He's a great hitter. He was a like you said, right. like he was. He was. I don't understand why he did PEDs or or why he didn't stop doing the PEDs when he signed right. that contract. And that's a whole separate conversation because I think it does like touch upon addiction at some point, but um, yes. because once you got, once you got the money, like you're not getting another contract at, at, at what do you have to gain by yeah. taking the PEDs other than like some crazy addiction to competition and, and success. Um, and so that's a, but that's a whole other thing. Like, I just feel like this is a guy that, that the players in the clubhouse are going to say, or look at and say like, that's, that is, you know, PEDs notwithstanding, like that's a, a stud. That's a multi-time all-star. That's a World Series champion. Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's a guy to look up to. And so, what seems like an easy decision, I think, from the outside, might be, as you as you suggest, a little bit uh, more complex on the inside. Uh, if you are listening in and uh, have a question for us, please do uh, raise your hand to come join us on stage. We have. Uh, <laughs> I hope I'm doing this right. I hope that we're not uh, like if you're in the chat room, even tell us you can hear us because uh, right now, like I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that Andy and I are just talking to ourselves. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Right now, we have Nathan R. has bailed us out. We know that uh, we are alive and and not just oh, talking thank God. to no one. Yeah, here we go. Nathan Nathan is waiting. Let's uh let's let him on stage. Uh, my question would be: um, clearly, the weakest uh, link in this team is the bullpen. And if you had any speculation, say around the trade deadline, what prospects or other pieces you would move, and what relievers on struggling teams? Uh, teams that aren't competing, you would hope to receive in return. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's you know the thing is like it's a it's a bullpen market. Who knows? Like who knows who is going to be good at that moment? I you know I understand sort of like you know in terms of who who the targets might be. Like it's it's a bit too early to see say because you know the the, the most useful relievers are genuinely random sort of fellows. I mean, I think if you're looking to trade from the big league roster, uh, you know, Smith makes sense, but they're at a place in terms of big league depth where I don't think they want exactly, they exactly want to, to get rid of him. Um, you know, and I'm curious to see just kind of how all their pitching shakes out because they have, uh, you know, they, they have enough starting right now. Some of that could shift into the bullpen if theoretically, Jacob deGrom uh, is back and healthy and looking like Jacob deGrom, you know, be interesting to see, you know, theory, like if you had uh, a Tyler McGill type, you know, in the, in the bullpen or you know, maybe David Peterson, that sort of thing. So um, yeah, I'm just, it's just kind of too early to speculate who the targets might be, to be honest. Yeah, I think, and thank you for the call, Nathan, and the question It's a good one. It's a, and it's one we can certainly monitor. It feels too early, um, both because we don't know who's going to have a good year in the bullpen. And also, well, like you don't know exactly which teams, like we can guess at which teams will be bad. If you start now, like you, you could say, well, oh, the White Sox are off to a bad start. Like maybe, maybe, <laughs> Liam maybe Hendricks, Liam Hendricks, right? Like maybe yeah. Liam Hendricks is available. Kendall Graveman, like these guys that, that do cost the White Sox a bit of money and, and might be available. But I don't believe the White Sox are going to be five games below 500 all season like that that seems like a good deep club that's going to contend in the central um i think you start worrying and also like we say okay the bullpen's an obvious weakness for the mets i think that the fringes of the bullpen is an obvious weakness for every team you know there's, there's no there's yeah. no club that's got that's got the 13th guy coming out of the on the pitching staff that's lights out right and also and also like it's definitely the weakness now i when i look at the roster i'm like yeah that's that's the spot where they're a little short but like 
maybe it isn't, you know, like if, if bull, I mean, bullpens, if anyone ever figures out how to build one, like God bless them, because it is, it, it is very, very challenging and you have to be very, very, you know, fluid and, and open to ideas. I, I think the top end, you know, I think Edwin Diaz is perfectly fine. Definitely some concern with, you know, with Trevor May, um, mm-hmm. you know, bit of concern with Ottavino, but the, a lot of these guys, you know, the first five all have pretty good, track records um yeah i mean it's it's a bullpen who you know who would have thought like tyler matzik and luke jackson would just be crushing everyone last year you know and now look like luke jackson's like already out for the year a year later it's just it's so fickle and hard to predict and so much of it comes down to you know the matchups and the manager playing the right hand and this is something that we sort of trust buckshow walter to do well um i think part of the problem to date has been uh and and not really because due to any fault of his own, just he hasn't had a ton of time to assess these guys yet. I uh, didn't get a very long spring training, but like oh, mm-hmm. an example I can think of is like bringing May into the, the tie game the other night. It was like, oh, that's, that can't, that shouldn't happen. You know, the way, and like <laughs> last year, absolutely. Like May was, was their second best guy last year, but uh, this year it seemed clear to me that, that May is not the guy until he writes himself. But I think eventually the pieces sort of fall in place and, and, you know, by Memorial Day, maybe they're trotting out Ottavino, who has certainly had success in the past and has been pretty yeah. good to, to date. Uh, Drew Smith, who's been who has been lights out again, eight innings. Yep. It's not much. And Diaz, who's who's been a little wild and and uh, very strikeout heavy, which is typical for him. Diazian, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe maybe that's the you know maybe that emerges as the the mix for them, and it doesn't seem like such a big concern by then. Um, but it's it's something worth thinking about. Yanni M has been waiting patiently. Yanni, uh, welcome back. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Andy. Um, I just wanted to ask uh, a little bit about base running. <clears throat> you know, as Mets fans, we, uh, you know, at least in 10 years have not been used to um, a really consistently uh, fast and aggressive team on, on the base paths. And, um, you know, with the addition of Joey Cora this year, um, people are saying his praises. I have to agree. I really uh, enjoy uh, watching him there being a third base coach. But I did want to ask a little bit, um, you know, the Mets have been sometimes overly aggressive in some uh, some facets. And I think what was overlooked early uh, at the very beginning of the series, uh, of the season, because it was very early, um, you know, in that first series, the Cora sent two runners home who got thrown out at the plate. And we've seen a couple of uh, additional uh, base running blunders in the last couple of games. Of course, again, nothing too concerning. But um, I saw that the Mets, uh, by some metrics, are rating out as average on the base paths. I see that they're um, making a lot of outs on the base paths. Of course, they're also creating a lot of opportunities with their aggression. So, uh, you know, in the past, when we see a season where the Mets uh, are not aggressive on the base paths, that, that, that's going to last the whole season. They can't change that midseason. But I guess I'm wondering if the obverse is true here. They have a lot of aggression. Can they learn throughout the season to pick their, you know, pick their uh, pieces to run or to try to for the extra base more carefully? And how, how have other, you know, aggressive base running teams in the past fared that way with championship aspirations? 
Um, I can think of one aggressive base running team uh, that hmm. that uh, aggressively ran the bases to win the World Series not too long ago. If uh, Mets fans don't need to be reminded of the 2015 World Series and how it ended, but it's an interesting question, Andy. Like I brought this up with Tim, uh, and thanks thanks for the question, Yanni, um, because Joey Cora is new. All of these players are new, and and I asked Tim if if third base coaches practice, and I was sort of half kidding, but like. Is there an adjustment period, you think, for, for a guy like that trying to get used to the rhythm of all the different base runners? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I think there's a, there's a couple things, you know, at play here. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Wayne Kirby, I believe, is the person who's coordinating the, the, the running game. He's the first base coach. But Cora is, you know, coaching third, and he has just – he's making some aggro sense. Um, and so it, yeah. it, it, it can <laughs> result in, you know, like – Guys getting thrown out. However, like I'm looking at, you know, fan graphs, they've got the Mets ranked, you know, tied with the Dodgers for uh, they're both tied at third for base, you know, base running runs, uh, you know, in the sport. Um, you know, it's very early. It's incredibly small mm-hmm. sample size, but like they are that that is a value add for what they're doing. And I think it's the idea that, you know, they're going to be aggressive. They're going to, you know, put their guys in motion. And uh, it's this uh, principle, you know, that, that a lot of teams have had in, in years past. I mean, obviously that covered that Royals team and this was their big sort of idea. It's like force the other team to make a play, like force mm-hmm. the team to make a play. Now, when you're playing the Cardinals, who are probably the best defensive team in the sport, Sometimes it's going to look bad, right? right? Like, you know, you're going to get guys thrown out because you they are being forced to execute. And guess what? That's what those guys do. However, when they play the Phillies this week, it might all of a sudden you be like, man, the Mets are just running them into the ground. They're taking, taking you know, the extra base. They're this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, yeah, because these guys aren't good fielders. And you just need to maintain that sort of level of aggression all year long. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a, a huge sort of – not huge, but, like, I think it's a really important – uh, skill that teams should be emphasizing in an era in which a lot of clubs are utilizing, um, you know, defensive positioning in order to, you know, sort of get away with hiding guys in the field mm-hmm. in ways that maybe they couldn't, you know, and I, and I think, you know, just insisting upon competence from your opponents and putting pressure on them, that has a, that's a huge value. And it's something that all elite offenses do. Yeah, and I mean, if you you think back to that Royals team, right, like the Mets were, they had obviously tightened up in the World Series because they were, like, obviously aware of how the Royals were. Like, I I don't know. And, like, that's, that's like, body language expertise, and I hate that. But, like, there is just just no doubt to me that that was a factor in that World Series, that it was sitting in the Mets' minds the whole time, that, like, not everyone, maybe, but many of them, that, like, this is the team that runs. They're going to, they're going to hustle. They're going to take the extra base. And, like, when that's, it it reminds me of, of Reyes back in the day in his heyday yeah. like when there's a guy on base and you you just know he's he's gonna push it like it it does sort of like force the issue tighten you up a little bit um i'll add also like there it's so early that some of the bad plays you can sort of like maybe write off as a fluke like i w- i would say um i don't remember exactly the situation but the throw that dylan carlson made from from center field yeah um to get a guy out of third base on a bang bang play like you could redo that play 80 times, and that guy saved 75 times. And right, Carlson right. made a spectacular throw. Yep. Um, and, you know, and, and a lot of stuff needs to go right, right? Like, is it, he needs to make the throw. He needs to uh, – the third baseman needs to make the tag. Um, he needs to catch the ball. You know, like, uh, so I'm cool with some of the aggression, like, even when it 
doesn't work out, even when it is an out at third base, which is that we all know, like sort of a, a cardinal sin in baseball, no pun intended. Um, and hmm. I, I'll, I don't know. I, I, I've had the same question about Joey Cora because he has been, as you said, so aggro with his, his sense this year, but like, Part of me loves it. Like that's that's fun. It's fun to watch. It's you know? Like I'm, yeah. I'm here to I'm here to be entertained. And like I want to see a guy stop it second. Like push right. it, push it. And I'll add I'll add that like this is one of those things that um, fans don't look at. I think or like we have these stats like the Fangraphs base running runs. Um, teams track this stuff like kind mm-hmm. of obsessively. Like I, mm-hmm. I remember um, Mike Sosha, a guy who has never been known as like a uh, highbrow sabermetric manager, listening to him just rattle off like our success in going first to third, like mm-hmm. percentage in first to third, percentage in second to home in a single percentage, you know, like, mm-hmm. and you know your your sort of targets for where you want to be on those. And I think over the course of the year, you adjust, you say like, hey, like, you know, this guy is actually like deceptively slow. So um, it looks like he's moving quickly, but like, let's not send him so much. Look at the stats. He's been thrown out of third four times. Uh, this guy tends to get there. You know, I think that those things do sort of work themselves out. Uh, James James Z is also waiting. James, are you with us on stage? Hey, guys. Hey, James. Hey, so my question is about Pete Alonso at first base because he's looked uncomfortable making that back shoulder throw to second on double plays, and uh, we just have a gold glove first baseman in Dom Smith. So why does Pete not really kind of understand the context of where he is and give way a little bit to Dom and he's been pretty adamant this year about wanting to play first base. So just curious about the dynamic there. Well, uh, he's, I mean, he's too. taking money out of his own pocket, right? Because he's basically saying in his ARB case, he's no longer a first baseman as DH. I mean, I understand what you're saying from a team-based concept. And I think that's something that if the Mets, you know, if they can find if they can create a lane for Dom Smith and if they can get Alonzo comfortable with the idea of playing DH to where it's not an issue and he remains productive. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're looking at the ideal construction of this club, that would be the flip you make. But as of right now, they're just not in that place because they're, you know, they're giving it bats to Cano, you know, they're kind of shut. They're using the DH spot as like more of a uh, like resting place for various guys. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, like in terms of, you know, why Alonzo wants to play first base is because he believes he's a first baseman and the team says okay go play first base you know they could come to him and say you know theoretically like hey you're our dh now um, but he's made clear you know he doesn't really like that and so they'd like to you know accommodate him but it's it's the sort of thing i mean these these are the problems that good teams have right is you kind of need to figure out to get ways for guys to um you know sort of subliminate their individual goals for the collective goal uh but it's not easy and it, and, it, and it's a process um so yeah i don't know hopefully that makes some sense yeah, I think that makes sense. I think also, I'm, I'm certainly, I can't remember, there was a, there was like a classic example from years back of, of someone who like was obviously a candidate to be a DH and just didn't want to because they said, yeah. uh, uh, they said like, I, I, I'm not in the game. It's a, it's a very, right. if you've, if you've played baseball and you've DH'd, it is a very different experience than, than playing a regular game and playing at first base. And um, for sort of like a high adrenaline guy, like, like Pete Alonzo, like maybe it's hard to, to get yourself up for your four or five plate appearances a night when you're just sitting there being like king of the bench. Cause that's how I always think of the DH, hmm. right. It's like, you're, you get to control the sunflower seeds if you, if you're the DH. Um, but, and so like, I, I do like, I understand 
and like beyond just like the financial component of it, like maybe he thinks and and like I think you see via stats that like DHing is a skill that is harder yes. than it seems like it should be. Like yes. it seems like it should be you should hit better when you're the DH because you mm-hmm. don't have to play the field, but uh, it doesn't bear out that way. And and it is a it isn't easy. Um, and so I get it. Like I, I, I get where he's coming from, and I get why the Mets are still giving him chances there. Uh, I think he is more. Uh, I love Dom Smith. I think Alonso is just like much more obviously a part of the Mets' future than Dom Smith. Mm-hmm. You don't want That's also mess, true. You don't want to mess mm-hmm. with that guy on behalf of Dom Smith as much as you like Dom Smith. Um, and so, like, yeah, like it would be good if it was maybe if you are playing Smith um, as a DH regularly. Like, I, I would advocate for working out some sort of like a regular days off system. Like, like you said, like it's a, the DH is a, uh, uh, I think should be is in, increasingly and should be increasingly used um, as a spot to rest a guy's legs rather than uh, as a spot where you have like a, a plug in full-time David Ortiz DH. Uh, if you have David Ortiz, you do it, but otherwise, you know, like yeah. I, I think, I think this is the move. And so um, I think I get where Alonzo's coming from. I think also like not for nothing, like, um, and this is sort of the same as, as Brandon Nimmo, but like, he's worked really hard to make himself better as a defender. And like, he's not great, but he, I think he is visibly a little bit better, better than he, he was when he came up, especially like scooping balls in the dirt. He's gotten pretty good at. And, and so uh, I, these are proud dudes. They've been the best yeah. player on every baseball team they've ever been on <laughs> in their entire life until the major leagues. Like they're, they're proud of that. And you don't want to be like, Oh yeah. Like, even if it's your friend, you don't want to be like, that guy's a better fielder than me, so I'll bow down. Because that's just not the mindset that gets you to the major right. leagues. Right, right, for sure. And, and you know, just to, to – Alonzo is not unique in preferring to play the field. I mean, like Giancarlo Stanton has said the same thing, um, you know, about be, being a full-time DH. I mean, it's like a pretty – if you're not an older player who likes the idea of resting his legs, if you're still a, a relatively young man in baseball, they prefer playing the field. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good way to stay. Like, if you don't play the field, you don't get those nine jogs out to the field. And then you got to get on the treadmill after the game and exactly. get, a, get your step count that? up. Yeah, um, it's it's a it's a valid question for sure. But I, I think I, I'm, I'm sure I get it uh, from Alonzo's perspective. And, and I would I would hesitate to say. Uh, it's a selfish thing because, like, maybe in his oh, his yeah, eyes, not at all. Not at all. If you no. want, if you want me to produce, this is how what it needs to be for me to produce. And and when Alonzo produces, he's the best hitter on the team. Uh, Andy, this has been fun. We should uh, we have no one else waiting to join the stage, so this is as good a place as any, I suppose, to wrap it up. Uh, the Mets do, as we know, they have a, a full weekend of activity uh, coming against the Phillies. They got. Aaron Nola on Friday. We're speaking on Friday morning. They have, you guys can all check the schedule like I'm doing right now. They have Kyle Gibson against Ty Walker on Saturday and Sunday. You can hear me clicking on my computer. There's got to be a better way to do this. The great Max Scherzer against Scherzer. Uh, I think that's Sunday Night Baseball, too. All right. Uh, It is Sunday Night Baseball, so expect a late, late night. It's a a 7 o'clock start rather than the 8 o'clock Sunday start, which he sometimes gets as preferable. Oh, uh, Oh, thank God. um, But it'll still be be late for a Sunday night because they they tend to to stretch those ones out, right? They do. Uh, Andy, thank you again for for filling in so admirably for (laughs) for Tim Britton. Anytime. Thanks for uh, thanks everyone for listening. Alright, peace out. Yeah.